You're listening to Movers and Shakers, the SailMove podcast on customer experience. SailMove, delivering the in-person customer experience online. To learn more, visit SailMove.com. I'm Jeffrey Mack, Director of Marketing at SailMove, and welcome to another episode of Movers and Shakers, SailMove's podcast on customer experience. Today, our CEO, Dan McKaylee, speaks to Scott Dilley, the Director of Client and Partner Experience at Northern Trust. In this episode, we talked to Scott about how design thinking crept into Northern Trust and the vital role it played in reshaping the customer experience. We'll also discuss voice of the customer and how to best operationalize key learnings. Finally, we'll learn the importance of shaping the best-in-class customer experience, not only for your clients, but also your employees. Welcome to another episode of Movers and Shakers, Sale Moves podcast on customer experience. In each episode, we speak to a senior business leader whose role touches the customer experience, and we dive deep into specific projects or tactics that they've employed to improve it. So today our guest is Scott Dilley. Scott is a director of client and partner experience at Northern Trust an American international financial services company headquartered in Chicago. Prior prior to Northern Trust, Scott was a vice president at J.P. Morgan. Welcome, Scott. Thank you. Nice to be here. Absolutely. It's great to have you. So how how do you define customer experience, Scott? Sure. I think what's becoming the classic way of of defining customer experience in the sense of uh, being mindful of all the touch points, all the ways that clients interact, uh, in our case with Northern Trust, whether they're digital interactions or physical interactions or uh, any other uh, way they connect, um, starting with awareness and going all the way through the life cycle of the client experience. Right. And, and are, do you think that there are any particular parts of that customer experience that are more important than others or that we should focus on more? Sure. I, I think it probably varies on, based on your value proposition and, and uh, how you choose to position yourself in the market. Uh, our value proposition is uh, pretty much advisory centric. Uh, in the wealth business, we operate in the upper end of the space. So uh, clients are expecting a strong, uh, viable digital experience uh, without question. So that is a, gets a heavy amount of our attention. Uh, likewise, they expect to some degree that the premium uh, is delivered through our people. Uh, so uh, yeah, I'd say there are you know, a handful of touch points that are particularly important. Interesting. I, when you say that they expect, as, as you were using that verbiage, I was thinking to myself, how, how have you learned what exactly, did they, what, what exactly is that they're expecting? Do you guys, uh, yeah, I'd love to, love to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah, so uh, we asked them, <laughs> which is the best way, right? So we have, a, we have, an, <laughs> we have an active uh, program we call the Voice of the Client, which is a quantitative research approach. So we're we're doing loyalty-based surveys of our uh, client base. So we, we survey a tenth of our client base uh, every month and skip December and January. So we have a rolling um, trending feedback in terms of their loyalty 
Uh, and uh, from that, we have been able to discern what those primary drivers are that cause them to be either more or less uh, loyal and have begun in turn to install feedback mechanisms uh, in those touch points to ensure we not only understand the outcome of their experience from a loyalty and behavior perspective, but we also understand uh, how effectively those, those key interactions, those moments of truth, if you will, uh, are functioning. Mm-hmm. I always enjoy hearing about voice of the customer uh, initiatives within organizations. And one question that I that always comes to mind, and I and I also really like digging into, is how do we take what we're learning and operationalize? Because it's great to so you know we're collecting all this great information, we're talking to our clients, our customers, and that's that's you know fundamental. But how do we then uh, make it actionable? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, great question. So we look at multiple dimensions. We have our, our feedback mechanism is uh, not anonymous, and our clients understand that. And therefore, they have a heightened expectation that we actually not only listen to them, but respond in a way that they can understand. Uh, so, for example, if we have a client who indicates they're dissatisfied, we have, through the technology platform we use, a feature where we're notified within 15 minutes of uh, mm. them pressing the button, and we send that immediately out to their relationship managers, and they operate under a, a um, service agreement that requires them to reach out and close the loop with that client within 24 hours which tends to surprise clients in a positive way, uh, but we've had zero uh, negative feedback around that, uh, as you might guess. You know, uh, more strategically, we're taking the feedback and compiling it and sending it to uh, those who have impact over different aspects of the experience. So it, it may be in the client-facing channel, but it is just as likely to be someone who might re- be responsible for Uh, let's say, a a digital portal uh, that the clients are interacting with or some of the uh, content that we might be producing. So it gives those stakeholders uh, evidence of the effectiveness of their their impact on the client experience. And and over time, it allows you to do some math uh, where you can actually understand that if you can move the needle in a positive direction, for something that is a loyalty driver, but perhaps not functioning as well as you'd like, you can see how that might transcend into higher loyalty scores and ultimately um, client behavior uh, that in turn feeds your organic growth. Yeah, no, I, I think that that sounds like a great strategy. And I mean, in general, it's always a challenge to it kind of cross-functionally distribute this sort of information. So that sounds like, it sounds like you guys have some very nice frameworks in place for that. Yep, we have technology that allows us to put dashboards on the, on the desktop of some of these key stakeholders who have a kind of an outsized in, impact on the client experience and then the ability to just quickly send the information along to those where it's more uh, episodic. Right. Right. Uh, and Scott, I, you know, we're going to go into uh, a lot of a lot about design thinking. And I, I want to shift gears and talk a little bit about that. Can you tell our listeners, you know, what is design thinking? Sure. So we, we use a process we call human centered design, which is 100 percent synonymous uh, with design thinking. And just to 
um, give you a practical example. So for let's say we are designing a new digital experience for a wealth management client base. Uh, rather than us um, using a proxy, let's say relationship managers, to learn what might be effective for a client, uh, we go straight to the client. And we use uh, we have ethnographic researchers uh, on our team and in our lab who are trained to understand how that experience impacts uh, the individual we're designing for, to understand the context that they live in, uh, the people they connect with, uh, what comes before that experience, what comes after that experience, to look for things like workarounds that might be um, a suggestion of unmet needs or unarticulated needs. And, and then to, so first it's just making sure that you have a deep understanding, which is a very strong kind of empathetic understanding of the role of the person you're designing for and then it and then from there once we move into the design phase and we begin to prototype uh, we invite them into the process to react to the prototypes as they go from low fidelity to high fidelity and in effect co-create the solution so the benefit is you have um, a much higher degree of confidence that you're actually solving problems that are important to the people you're designing for and you're solving them in a way that's quite likely to be effective because they've helped you co-create them. Right. Right. And, and, and why do you think that this, this con or this, I mean, human centered design or design thinking, why do you think it's become so popular and applicable to other areas outside of design itself? I think it's, you know, for us, it's a, it's just a much more disciplined and precise uh, mechanism to to get it right, uh, to mitigate the risk of um, again, you know, going working from hypotheses and and projecting uh, our perception of needs onto clients. Uh, so it, when we're all capital constrained, we're all resource constrained. None of us can afford to build say, technology, digital solutions that cost millions of dollars and get it 30% wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's no reason to do that. And, of course, we're all competing with uh, players who, are, who create tremendous market cap based on their, the experience they're delivering. And in almost every case, uh, they're approaching it through, uh, through a process of design thinking or something that is synonymous with that. Wow, that's interesting. I think that's a great segue. And the reason just for our listeners, the reason that we're talking about design thinking today is because uh, Scott has a really interesting featured project to share with us today, which is the client slash partner experience lab at Northern Trust. So I'd love to get into that a little bit now, Scott. And, and can you tell us what is the client experience lab and, and how did it get started? Sure. I'll tell you where we are today, and then I'll go back and talk a bit about how we got here. Um, Great. Today it is two uh, full-time teams going to three full-time teams in September who are focused on uh, projects to improve either the client or the uh, partner experience. And from our language, partners are employees. So we do design work uh, for clients. We do design work for employees. We do design work uh, where they're involved, say, in digital collaboration experiences together. Um, so they're teams of designers. They tend to come from innovation and design consultancies like IDEO and Gravity Tank and Google and others. 
uh, who have been uh, who are grounded in a design thinking approach, and they're they're interaction designers and visual designers and ethnographic researchers and writers and business designers. And they come together and work on projects that go last anywhere, in our case, from from a week to five or six months, depending on the scope. Um, and on projects that are prioritized by either the business uh, as strategically important opportunities to elevate our game with clients or by the head of human resources if it's a project uh, focused on our employees. Background-wise, yeah. yeah, I'm sorry, we've been... We, we're about uh, closing in on three years, um, so we're still relatively young. Um, in 2014, we uh, were looking at the customer experience space broadly and trying to discern what aspects of work going on in customer experience might be particularly relevant to Northern Trust and who we are strategically and as a culture and begin to gain a conviction that this approach might be uh, particularly valuable in our culture. So we did, um, we did an experiment, basically. We did a project with IDEO, the Boston studio of IDEO, around the experience expectations of the next generation of wealth management clients, mm -hmm. and really dove into that in a highly collaborative way, not only to uh, gain the benefit of the research itself, but to understand how this process actually works and to be in a position to judge as to whether or not it was something we thought we should take back to the organization. Uh, we gained that conviction, presented the outcome of the, both the project and our recommendation to design the lab, uh, presented that to our board, our CEO, and in his direct reports in the fall of 2014, and then um, cranked the lab up in January of 2015. Wow, that's amazing. And, and I think they bring, first of all, sort of a, almost applying design thinking to create the design lab, which is, right, which is exactly is amazing. Exactly. Uh, uh, but in addition to that, you know, that the con I love that concept of bringing together these multi skilled, different types of thinkers within one kind of entity, and, and then coming up with projects where they can collaborate and create together. So I, I think that's I think the the vision is is very strong there. What are what would you say are the objectives? What would you say are the objectives for the lab? So at the highest level, the the metrics that we consider to be our our north star would be client loyalty uh, and employee engagement, uh, depending again on who we're partnering with. So, uh, you know, some of the projects we've worked on have been aspects of the experience where the uh, they had a Basically, they might have been, in effect, broken uh, pain points, if you will, that were negatively impacting client loyalty and therefore the likelihood they were going to continue to do business with us or continue to do more business or advocate on our behalf uh, or um, opportunities to create new experiences. We did, a, we did a project as an example in our corporate business uh, around designing a digital collaboration for large corporate clients. Uh, to uh, be onboarded, where we have teams from Northern, teams from the client participate in this experience together, and it's a chance to, just on the other side of the sales experience, have a very positive first impression uh, of, the, of their relationship with Northern Trust. So uh, the projects in that, you know, that are, that are intended to impact one uh, or the other of those two metrics. And how are those, how are those measured, by the way? What, what are the actual... 
methods for measuring as well as the metric itself? Yep. So we measure, uh, we're responsible through Voice of the Client program that we mentioned earlier to measure client loyalty. Uh, so uh, we do that through a survey-based mechanism. Uh, we ask a kind of the classic NPS question in terms of uh, likelihood to refer. We ask a question around repurchase, and we ask a satisfaction question because in our, uh, our, in our business, satisfaction and loyalty happen to be uh, pretty highly correlated, which is not always the case, as you know. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Uh, what are the, so what are, I just out of curiosity, the split between projects that focus on partners versus clients, sure. more or less? Yeah, and I should say that uh, Northern's pretty unusual in the sense that uh, it has a very, very client-centric culture. It's a fairly unusual company. It was founded in the late 1800s and never been through a disruptive merger and was founded in a fiduciary mindset. So, so our, we, we almost have to protect against that in some sense. So the reason that I have our team has responsibility for the client and the employee experience is kind of left unchecked. We'd end up doing 100% of the projects for clients mm-hmm. uh, at the expense of our employees. And we've all, you know, you walk into an airport and, and you know, go up to one of those terminals and change your seat and, 30 seconds, but if you walk up to the agent, you know, they obviously have not received the same uh, design in terms of the experiences they, you know, crank through their 500 keystrokes to do the same thing you did with your credit card and the touch screen. And we, we wanted to avoid that. Uh, so we're still, huh. we're still lean toward uh, client experience projects. We're probably 70% uh, client-specific pro- client projects and 30% employee projects. Yeah, and, and well, that, that's what I would. I, that's what I imagine, given given what you were saying before. I've obviously, you know, been on the Northern Trust site, and and that's what I got the sense. A very client centric organization. So I would imagine that. But I think that having the you know, partner projects uh, actually creates a bit of a virtuous cycle there, right? Because if you if okay. you're uh, if your employees and your team is happy, then that's going to carry through to the customer experience. It's one of the fundamental parts of a customer of a, of a strong customer experience at a company. It is absolutely, and and you know what I've what I've learned is that even though we all know that to be intuitively true, and we see it every day in the experiences we have uh, individually, it's still by far the exception of the rule for a customer experience team to also have responsibility for the employee experience. And, yeah. um, you know, I, I think there's a trend that's moving in favor of having some measure of responsibility for both, but it's still uh, heavily oriented as I understand it around the, the customer experience. And I think we all pay a price for that. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think it's it's a it's a really strong way to position the group. So I, I commend you guys for that. Um, I, I guess w- w- let's uh, talk about a specific project. I'd love to dive into an example of one that comes to mind that you really want to highlight. That you really like to that, that really showcases, I guess, both how the lab works, how the how the process of of design thinking is applied within the lab, and also. Then how how do we you know t- how did we take that to the broader organization? Sure. Well, I'll give you 
I should say probably 70, 80% of our projects are digital design projects, just because that's so impactful on the client experience and the employee experience, and that's where the kind of uh, the, the gap uh, tends to be. But I'll give you an example of an employee experience that was not digital. Um, last year, we, at the uh, request of the head of human resources, did a project to think about how we might improve our effectiveness in supporting the career development of our employees. And the motivation to do that came out of some um, you know, employee engagement surveys where our partners were saying and had been saying for two or three years that was an area that we needed to focus some attention on. Uh, our human resources partners had taken that seriously every year, had tried to imagine to the best of their ability what precisely that meant and had created a, you know, solutions that they rolled out every year. But after, Every year they ended up in the same place, and um, the head of human resources saw this approach as an opportunity to gain a much more granular understanding of precisely uh, what our employees were talking about when they were providing these, this high-level uh, feedback. Uh, so from a process standpoint, uh, we sat down with employees, a diverse set of employees, in the context of their work setting, so sitting at their desk, sitting in their office, sitting in their cube, uh, spent a lot of time, you know, 90-minute in-person interviews with the ethnographic researchers understanding uh, the context of uh, professional development in their experience uh, here, uh, whether they'd been elsewhere, what, was, what worked really well, what they struggled with, uh, what tools they use. Uh, just try to develop as a complete a context as possible, came back with that information, and then the de designers began to uh, put together some low-fidelity sketches of uh, opportunities uh, that uh, to basically a set of hypotheses based on the initial research that we took back out to another group of employees and had them react to those. Uh, that brought us back in and tightened up the opportunity areas where we or where they told us uh, there were opportunities to improve and then we brought in groups of employees in different locations to uh, not only react to the next round of prototypes uh, from a concept perspective you know being a higher fidelity and tighter group of concepts but also to give them a chance to do some of their own design and and again, what you know what that does did for us is and did for the head of human resources. It gave her significantly more confidence that we were focusing properly uh, as she began to invest in support of the solutions that had been co-created with the employees. Uh, much more confident that those solutions were going to be effective. Uh, so in in that case, what we handed back to her was a portfolio of probably four or five different concepts within uh, six different opportunity areas uh, for her to then take and, and prioritize and, and roll out into the employee experience over a period of time. Wow, that's a great initiative. I mean, I think it's, it's so, it's such a get your hands dirty approach to doing things, right? Because you're going out there, you're talking, you're showing, you're reacting. It is, it, it does seem like a very, good framework for these sorts of projects it does and you know it's i i i ran big change initiatives prior to to uh initiating this lab and i've led a lot of 
significant initiatives over time. And, and while we gathered feedback uh, from, call them users, uh, in those circumstances, it wasn't, to your point, nearly as disciplined, uh, nearly as, as granular. And of course, we weren't using professional ethnographic researchers who have a craft around not only hearing what people say, uh, but understanding probably even more importantly uh, what they need that they either can't or don't think of telling you uh, that they actually need. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's, it's a very different, um, much more reliable uh, approach than anything at least I've, I've participated in before. Yeah, and and for our listeners, maybe uh, just to to get clarity around, tell us a little. What is a, what constitutes ethno, an ethnographic researcher? Sure. So, uh, you can think of a continuum from quantitative research, like we were talking about with the voice of the client, all the way down to ethnographic qualitative research. And ethnographic researchers, uh, ethnographic research comes out of a a uh, anthropology um, branch uh, where it's grounded in observation. Mm -hmm. uh, so, and it is, um, it's about being physically present with the person that you're, um, you know, seeking to understand and build empathy with. Uh, so it's a, you know, it's a, it's an, it's a quite an important and well-disciplined craft that, I think is little understood and and much underappreciated, but it's really the foundation of everything we do because this process uh, must be grounded first and foremost in deep empathy of the user. If you don't, if you can't put yourself in the shoes of the user in multiple dimensions, you have you don't have a hope of designing something that's going to solve their problem. Absolutely. Listening very, very closely. Yep. Um, Scott, my last question about the lab would be what, what are, I guess, how do you identify or how do you decide on the projects that you're going to work on? Where do those come from? Yep. So we have finite capacity, uh, of course. So we, you know, this year we might do a dozen projects when we have three teams uh, running full speed for a full year, we might do 15 or 17 projects. But it's still a relatively small number. So as a consequence of that, uh, our mandate is to uh, work only with the projects that are perceived by the leaders of the businesses or, again, the head of HR as having the highest strategic priority. Uh, so they, the projects tend to be surfaced, oh, most of the time through middle management. You know, mm -hmm. you see something in the marketplace or maybe it's, coming out of observations out of the quantitative research, but there's been a, there's been an opportunity that's been identified. And once we vet that opportunity, uh, before we will begin a project, we check in uh, with these, um, with the heads of the business, uh, the respective business and make sure that it is for them uh, a strategic priority. Cause the last thing we want to do is, is design something that doesn't get built uh, because all the people who work here, came here to make a positive difference and you're not making a difference if you design something that goes on the shelf. So, uh, so we spend a fair amount of time making sure that we, we have great clarity in terms of what we're going to do and why we're going to do it and who's going to work on it and over what period of time and what the deliverables are and making sure that 
uh, if it gets built, if it gets designed well, it's going to get built and get out uh, into the client or partner experience. Right, and I imagine it's also very it's it's also very important that the team should know that approaching the lab with these sorts of projects is an option, right? Um, when they identify that need, so uh, giving giving visibility to it, I'm sure is a, is a fundamental piece. Exactly. So, so that's really really fascinating. I appreciate you you know walking us through that. Uh, it sounds like an initiative that could benefit any organization, frankly, uh, that, that that has the resources to put something like that in place. It's it's a really unique, like you said, to position it with both the partner as well as the client experience. Uh, so thanks so much for walking us through that. And uh, I, w- I wanted to uh, uh, kind of wrap up here with a couple of our lightning questions. Uh, All right, far away. <laughs> so how important do you think the customer experience is for Northern Trust? Well, it's quite important for us. We have a relationship-based value proposition. Uh, so we're not trying to compete on cost, as an example, or you know, uh, rule the world over products. So uh, our ability to differentiate has everything to do with the client experience. And you know, in, in the in financial services in general, products tend to be seen by clients as homogenous, even if we think they're not. <laughs> yep. So, uh, you know, client experience is fundamental to creating competitive differentiation in financial services. Absolutely. We, we, you know, we're firm believers that the experience has become the product exactly. <laughs> in, exactly. in that industry. So, and, and, and so to wrap up, what do you think the future of customer experience looks like? Yeah, I think, you know, maybe a couple of things. I think that the, um, I think this piece we talked about earlier around customer experience teams uh, beginning to embrace um, this intuitive reality that we must also focus uh, on the employee experience, mm-hmm. I think is a trend that we'll see continue to, to manifest. I also think, you know, of course, uh, the the question and the, the resolution around, okay, what's going to be automated and what's going to be delivered by the people is going to play out. And I think, you know, the technology is going to really dominate in things like pattern finding and making predictions and delivering information. And that's a very important part of our business. And the people are going to continue to play a very important role in, in uh, the aspects that the, that the uh, technology is not going to be able to deliver things like empathy that we were just talking bit about and building trust. Uh, and if you're in the wealth business uh, and you're talking about who you're going to trust uh, for your family's wealth, for you and your significant other, for your children, your children's children perhaps, for the pension of the company you're responsible for when it's significant, uh, at the end of the day, you you expect great technology and a great digital experience, but you also need someone you can look in the eye, literally, uh, who you can trust. And I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. I agree. I agree a hundred percent. I think that if anything, there's a, a world where we sort of bring a hybrid approach where we have to have great technology and great people, but it's not one or the other. It's absolutely both. I couldn't exactly. agree more with you there. So thank you so much, Scott, for taking the time to speak with us today. It was really incredibly interesting to hear about the lab and your methodology and the projects that you're working on. I commend you for for all the great work and I'm sure that the the clients and employees both appreciate it as well. 
All right. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure visiting with you, and thanks for the work you guys are doing. Absolutely. And to all of you out there listening, keep making moves. You've been listening to Movers and Shakers, the Sale Move podcast on customer experience. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to our podcast via iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. To learn how SailMove enables companies to provide an in-person customer experience online, please visit SailMove.com.